Seek his presence continually. That's from Psalm 105. Seek God's presence continually. And that is what we just sang about. Uh, What a perfect song to set up um, this message on God's presence. Um, We all want to be in God's presence. In fact, I don't know if you know this or not, but the top reason that people pursue church, go to church, is for that reason, to get closer to God, to be in his presence. And there's a reason why I think thousands of people have gone recently this month to a little university in Kentucky called Asbury to get closer to God, to experience his presence. And what is so special about God's presence? In his presence you will find comfort, joy, guidance, you'll find protection, you'll find victory in God's presence. And today, that's my hope, is to show you how to enter into God's presence. I think there's a lot of benefits to it. My question is, do you want to know how? Do you want to know how to get into God's presence? Would you like that? Oh, I love it. You guys are very vocal today. Usually I have to... Um, Before I show you how that happens, though, I want to show you how it used to happen, how it used to happen throughout the Bible and how God's presence was experienced by um, many of God's people in the past. So we're going to go on a little journey today. In fact, um, normally I try to stick to um, one main text and have you tell you to open your Bible and stick in that text. And we're in Exodus, so that, that text is in Exodus 13. However, today I'm going to be kind of flying through a lot, and so it probably will be too hard for you to keep up. And I know some of you just uh, thought, that's a challenge. I- I'll take it. Um, <laughs> I love you, all right? And, and, um, and please take it on. But if you want all the verses that I have in the message today, I will email them to you or text them. Just send me a note and let me know. But um, there are a lot uh, to help you see the, the, the big picture here and see how God, is, his presence has been shown throughout. So I'm excited to do that. But before we do, we're going to pray once again for the Holy Spirit to teach us. Father, you are so good in so many ways and how much you love us and care for us and how you have manifest yourself to us, appeared to us uh, throughout uh, time. And, and Lord, today uh, we know how you appear to us through your Holy Spirit. And it's uh, the presence of your Holy Spirit in us that teaches us and guides us and comforts us and and brings us joy and victory. And I pray, Father, today that we would see that truth and that um, we would enter into your presence every single day. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all of the God's people said, Amen. Amen. So if you were here last week, we had a message called, Do You Remember? God likes it when we remember things that he has done for us. So... I asked you guys to remember four things. Your baptism, your salvation, your sanctification, what verses God has used to change your life, and of course your offering, because when we bring our first fruits to God, um, there are many blessings in that, and they are more spiritual blessings than they are physical. The Israelites were called to remember um, they had specific feasts that um, were instituted here in Exodus when they left Egypt, there was the Passover feast, and then there's the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, and so on. Well, now these Israelites, these two and a half million people who were enslaved to Egypt, are now gone. They're out of Egypt. Hooray, they got out. All right, God let them out. And now they're in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, you might think that they're alone. But if you read, you'll see that they are not alone. 
they can visibly see God's presence. Visibly see it. And that's where we're going to go. Exodus 13. We're going to start. I just handpicked some verses here. Verse 18. Um, instead of reading the whole passage here, but it starts in verse 17. But in 18, um, it says that God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, and they went out equipped for battle. That's important, as we'll see as we go through the book of Exodus. Verse 21, the Lord went before them by, a day, by day in the, a pillar of cloud. So by day, the Lord was visible by a pillar of cloud. And he led them along the way. And by night, he was a pillar of fire to give them light during the night. So they could travel by day or they could travel by night. And the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, verse 22, did not depart from God's people. This pillar would be their um, light. It would be their direction for 40 years as they traveled through and around the desert. This is God's presence. We will see this time and time again in Exodus, that this cloud, this pillar of cloud and pillar of fire will be their presence. In fact, Moses, who wrote Exodus, ends the book of Exodus in chapter 40, and he mentions in verse 37, this is how he ends it. So you know it's important. It's it's emphasized over and over and over again. Like God's presence was so important to to the people He says in verse 37, if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day it was taken up. In other words, they didn't move, okay, until God moved. I mean, what a, if that's all you get today, (laughs) you've got a treasure right there. Take that with you, never forget it. Don't move until God moves. Follow God wherever he goes, because that was the Um, way that they went about for 40 years in the desert. And in the cloud, God showed himself. God's presence was there. And I want to just kind of go into this, and I know we're going to, when we get there eventually in Exodus 33, I know we're going to sit on it for a little bit there, but I just want to bring it up now because I want you to see that Moses was so, um, God's presence was so important to him, and of course Moses has this really special, unique relationship with God. God speaks to Moses. In fact, in verse 9 of chapter 33, so, so far you can probably keep up, right? I mean, you're not, I'm not going too fast yet. All right, so verse 9, it says, Moses would enter the tent. Now, this is the tabernacle. It's been built, okay? This is, this is fast-forwarding way ahead of where we're at. But the pillar of cloud would come down, descend, and stand at the entrance of this tent that Moses would go into to talk to Moses. The Lord would speak with Moses there. And in verse 10, The rest of Israel, it says, when the people saw that this pillar of cloud was standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Folks, there was not an 11 a.m. worship service on Sunday mornings. Okay? There was, God's here, let's worship. That's how it worked for them. Whenever they saw God's presence, this pillar, descend upon the tabernacle, they worship God, where they saw God's presence. And um, what I think is interesting about God's presence is the word presence is a word in Hebrew called panim, uh, P-A-N-I-Y-M. But panim is actually translated oftentimes as face. So when we see God's 
presence in the Old Testament is often, often could be translated very easily, God's face. So they, it says, God said, my presence in verse 14, my face will go with you. I will give you rest. And then verse 15, Moses responds, if your presence, if your face will not go with me, then don't bring us up from here. Like, we're not going anywhere without you, God. Moses lived completely dependent on God's presence. And yet, he still wanted more of God. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, Moses said in verse 18, please, God, show me your glory. Show me your presence. Show me your face. Now, we all want more of God. And Moses was certainly seeking God, but, but he didn't quite know what he was asking for. Uh, God said to Moses in verse 20, you cannot see my face, my presence, same word. Man shall not see my face and live. This is kind of like the Jack Nicholson moment in, uh, you know, that movie where he says, you can't handle the truth. You know that movie? It was just on, all right? We were just watching it. And you know that line, but this is what God is saying to Moses. You can't handle all of my presence. You can't handle all of it. But he did give him a little bit of it, and he did show him his glory. He gave him what he could handle. So in this book of Exodus, we see that these Israelites are completely depending on God's presence. They saw it visibly. And this, his presence would guide these Israelites 24 hours a day, seven days a week, everywhere they went. His presence would protect them in the desert. In fact, it, it, it even says in, in there that that whole time they're there, their clothes and their shoes never wore out. I mean, that's a miracle, right? How do you go with the same? Some of you are wearing the same shoes for 40 years. I know that, but <laughs> you know that that was it didn't they didn't they look brand new? All right, no creases, nothing. They look brand new. He, his presence brought them victory. So, so you get all of this from the presence of God. In the, in, uh, eventually, um, God's presence would take them to the promised land. And um, when they got to the promised land, I don't know if you noticed this or not, if you've read through the book of Exodus and then maybe you just kept reading in Joshua, you realize that, hey, the cloud went away. Like I, had to, I, I thought about that as I was, I was studying for this, and I thought, wait, wait a minute, when did the cloud go away? Like, it's, it's not there every day like it was in the desert. It just goes away. It's, it's not like a big event or anything like that. You know, it wasn't like God was like, okay, my cloud's gone now. You guys are in the promised land. You don't, no, it wasn't like that. It just, it's not even really mentioned because it doesn't go away forever. It doesn't go away forever. In fact, here's where I want you to kind of see throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, God appearing in the cloud. God appearing in the cloud. In 1 Kings 8, in 1 Kings 8, verses 10 and 11, that, that, that portable temple of God, they called the tabernacle, becomes a permanent one when Solomon is called on to build the temple of God. And that's where God would meet his people. And in Solomon's temple, verse 10, it says the priest, when he established it, when they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the temple. The priest came out of the holy place and a cloud filled the house of the Lord. The, the, the Jewish people call it the Shekinah glory. The priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. 
The glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Now, you may have been to a church before where they had smoke machines on stage. Okay? That's manufactured, all right? They didn't have smoke machines back then. The cloud just, the smoke just filled the house. And they couldn't, even, they couldn't even see what was going on because the glory of the Lord filled it. The cloud um, was also on the mountain with Jesus, Peter, James, and John when Jesus was transfigured amongst them. In chapter 17 of Matthew, verse 5, Jesus was speaking, and behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. A voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Notice it's the cloud that overshadowed them, God appearing to them. Then in Acts 1.9, Jesus goes back to heaven When he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And what took Jesus out of their sight? A cloud. And it says in Luke 21, 27, they will see the Son of Man coming back in a cloud with great power and glory. If you read in Hebrews, you'll see that it's a cloud that is currently watching us today. Chapter 12, verse 1, we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. And so therefore, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. And then there's a cloud that will be here when the end times come. In Revelation 10, verse 1, John wrote, I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. And what did he look like? He was wrapped in a cloud. And there was a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. Sound familiar to you? In Revelation 14, 14, I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on that cloud was one like the Son of Man, a golden crown on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hands. Folks, we've got to keep our eyes on the clouds. Because something good's going to happen when Jesus comes back in the clouds. Amen? Yeah. Now, Have you ever heard of an epiphany before? Have you had an epiphany before? For those of you that that's a new word for you, basically it's an an illuminating revelation. Uh, That moment when something in your head all comes together and the light bulb goes on and you're like, I get it, right? That's an epiphany. Uh, How many of you had an epiphany before? Just most of us, all of us probably. Uh, Have you ever celebrated Epiphany, the holiday? It's a holiday, yeah. You didn't know it was a Christian holiday. Either did I until I studied this. I had no no idea until. But it it is. It it actually started being celebrated around the 4th century A.D. There's Christians that still celebrate Epiphany today. Uh, By the way, I found out Christmas was first celebrated not until 354 A.D. on December 25th, so... These holidays and traditions have come later, but Epiphany, it's a real holiday, and it takes place on January 6th. That's 12 days after Christmas, which I think then inspired the song, right? On the first day of Christmas, my true love. No? Maybe, I don't know, maybe not. But why, why is it called Epiphany? It's also called Theophany as a holiday name. It's also called Three Kings Day. Three Kings Day. So it's 12 days after Christmas, and it's actually, uh, today, it's, it's, a, it's a time where you are, are kind of marking the calendar to say, okay, Christmas is officially over, let's take down the Christmas tree, 
All right, let's put all the decorations away. And clearly, if you've been to my house this year, you know the Trombley family does not celebrate Epiphany because the tree is still up, the cards are still on the counter. <laughs> it's not over in our house, folks. We're still celebrating. Um, in our defense, we're a little busy. But this word epiphany, if you break it down, I love the etymology of words, but the word epiphany, it's two words, it means to shine upon. Epa, E-P-I, means upon, and the word phony means to shine, to manifest, to appear. So it means to shine upon, and it's all about the magi when they came to visit baby Jesus. They came after the fact. When you kind of get your Christmas story in line, you realize that the Magi weren't there when Jesus was born. Even though we see the manger in our head, and we have all the characters are all there when Jesus was born. No, it didn't happen like that. The Magi came many days later, and so they say 12 days later, this is representing Jesus being shined upon by the the Magi. Now, um, uh, God revealed to us. So, this this is my point I'm trying to make to you and help you see something that the word epiphany was really, it was really a Jesus thing. But since then, it's changed and it's become something else. Kind of how it works in our world today, isn't it? Stuff that used to be a Christian thing is no longer a Christian thing? Yeah, it's unfortunate. But here, uh, back in the, in the day, epiphany was really the same thing as a theophany. Now, theophany is a word that I like to say, it's cool sounding. Theophany is really the root... Theo, which means God. So God appearing. A theophany is God appearing. And we've seen God appearing here in the Old Testament in the cloud. God is appearing. That's a theophany. But God also appeared in other ways than the cloud. In Genesis 18, you might recall reading about Abraham visited by three men. And when Abraham was visited by these three men, it was almost like instant that he realized these were not ordinary men. And he realized that these were, in essence, God. These were theophanies. And he spoke with them. In Genesis 32, you might be a little more familiar with Jacob having an all-night wrestling match with a man that then touched his hip, and, and right? It was that all-night thing, and he realized that this was a theophany because he says, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. Then in Daniel, I'm sure many of our kids are familiar with this one, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the blazing furnace. King Babylon was kind of forced to put him there, and even though he didn't want to because he liked Daniel, but they're in the furnace, and he was putting them to death in this blazing furnace. But he says, I see in there, the king of Babylon says, I see four, four men abound, walking around in the fire. They're not hurt. And that fourth man looks like the son of the gods, a theophany. Many believe that was the pre-incarnate Christ, Jesus. So we have theophanies in the Old Testament, these appearances of God. But they don't need to happen in the New Testament. Because in the New Testament, when Jesus was born, when God sent his son, we now have Jesus actually present among us. In fact, John 1, verse 18, says it best. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who was at the Father's side, except Jesus has made him known. So Jesus is showing us God's presence. And for the 
33 years or so that he's on, um, in the, on this earth, um, we have a recording of his life, the three and a half years of his ministry. We have four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and we see all about Jesus. And one of those specific times that all three of God, per, all three persons of God, the Trinity, appear all at once for the very first time in Scripture, it's at Jesus' baptism. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. Um, John, actually, the baptizer who baptized Jesus, prophetically makes this comment. He says, I baptize you all with water for repentance. You didn't know John was from the South? (laughs) I may have added that in there, but. He who is coming after me is mightier than I. John baptized with water, but he says, there's one whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And we're going to see that in a little bit here. But Jesus the Son of God, was baptized. And when he was baptized, two things happened. God the Father spoke his approval. Everyone who was there heard it. And God the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. So you have all three appearing here in the baptism of Jesus. Now, this is a kind of a special time, like this, this time of Jesus being here. But then, then Jesus dies, right? He's crucified. So then you ask the question, is God's presence no longer with us? The answer is no. Not even when he's resurrected and he takes that cloud cab back to heaven, right? Wouldn't you like to go on a cloud cab? I mean, that's how Jesus, that would be fun. Jesus says, no, 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 I'm not leaving you. I will always be with you to the very end. I will give you the Holy Spirit. And he explains this in John 3. He says, every genuine Christian is born by the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Now, this officially took place and happened in Acts chapter 2 at the Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover. Acts 2 verse 1, the day of Pentecost arrived. They were all together, the disciples, in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the whole house that they were sitting in. And this is the part I think is important. Divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. Fire. Just like John the baptizer said, Jesus would baptize you with. Holy Spirit and fire. And now the Holy Spirit is in every Christian. And that means God's presence is in you if you have the Holy Spirit. If you say you're a Christian, then you're saying you have the Holy Spirit. I wish every church, Christian church would teach that, but they don't. But I am teaching it to you because it's what's in the Word of God. That's what Jesus said. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, you're a genuine Christian. And what does it say, what does Jesus say to us that the Holy Spirit will do for us? If the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you, what will he do for you? Well, all you have to do is take a a little read through John 14, 15, and 16, and you'll see that in John 16, he says the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. Isn't it interesting? He says that word, guide you into all truth. He will protect you and comfort you. Remember, the the word for this uh, here is the word parakletos, the Greek word parakletos, which means called to your side. The Holy Spirit is dwelling in you, comforting you, and protecting you. And in Romans 8, it says that he secures you as a child of God. No one can snatch you out of his hand. 
you are saved by the grace of God. What benefits do we see here from the Holy Spirit? The same exact benefits we see the Israelites had in the desert. Do you see the connection? Do you see how God still protects us, guides us, secures us, and gives us comfort? In fact, the writer of Psalms says this in Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. It's in your presence that we have the fullness of joy. You want more joy in your life? You need to be in his presence. Then the Psalm 91.1. He who dwells in the shelter, the presence of the Most High, will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Do you want protection? You need to be in the presence of God Almighty. Exodus 33.14. I already read it to you. God said, my presence will go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. You want comfort? You want peace? It's in God's presence. And finally, in Psalm 97.5, we sang about this. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. You want victory in your life? You want security and safety? It's in the presence of the Lord. All of these benefits come from being in God's presence. If the Holy Spirit is in you, then shouldn't you be experiencing these things? Shouldn't you be having joy daily in your life, protection and comfort and victory? Why, then, do many Christians not experience these things? Why are they not in God's presence if God's Spirit is in them? The answer is in Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4, we are warned by the Apostle Paul, the church is warned, that the reason why you're not experiencing God's presence, even though you should be because you have the Holy Spirit in you, it's because, verse 30, you are grieving the Holy Spirit. Paul says to the church, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And how does one do that? How do you grieve the Holy Spirit? He goes on to say in verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice. Instead, be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted. Forgive as Christ has forgiven you. So what is it that grieves the Holy Spirit in you? It's your unholiness. It's your unholiness. It's your bitterness. It's your anger. It's your foul mouth. And all those things. And what is the root of what comes out of our mouth? It's our heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when we have all of this stuff coming out of our mouth, this this bitterness and this wrath and this anger and this slander, all of this stuff is coming out of us. It's a heart problem. It's a heart issue within us. If your heart is not right, you will grieve the Holy Spirit. And just like a person is grieved when they experience a loss. Have you experienced a loss in your life? Does it make you sad? Does it it cause you to grieve? Yes, it does. The Holy Spirit grieves when you lose your holiness. Think about that. When you lose your holiness, you are grieving the Holy Spirit because He's a person living inside of you. When Christians say, I don't feel God's presence. 
I want to get closer to God, but I don't know how. how. The solution is always the same. Be holy as God is holy. Get rid of the bitterness and the wrath and the anger and the slander that's coming out of your mouth. And be kind and forgive one another. Seek God with a holy life and you'll find him. Because God didn't really go anywhere, does he? He's been there the whole time. He's in you. If you have the Holy Spirit in you. Asbury University is in Kentucky. It has experienced in this month a um, revival, is what Christians would call it, a revival. Um, In case you haven't um, been aware of what's going on there or you haven't heard about this, I give you kind of this the quick summary. It started with a normal chapel service on February 8th of this year. Um, after the pastor dismissed, there were about a dozen or so students from the university that just stayed to pray. And they stayed and prayed. And then some people came back after they had left to pray. And then they began to sing. And then some more came back. And the next thing you know, the campus is just kind of coming and going, and the service never really ended. And it's just going, and it's going. And then, of course, word got out through social media, and then kind of went viral. If you go on YouTube, you'll see that. People came from all over. They came from, um, well, I know people that from St. Clair Shores drove down to experience it. People flew from overseas. Thousands of people came and just really overwhelmed this little town and university. And they finally, after two weeks, moved the service off campus to a different location. I personally have studied revivals over the centuries. Maybe you have too. Maybe you've read about revivals. The most famous is the Great Awakening here in our, in our country that took place back in 1734. Jonathan Edwards Church um, just started spreading. The Word of God was preached. It was spreading all over um, the, the colonies, and uh, in fact, five years later after it started, uh, a man by the name of George Whitefield became, uh, uh, started preaching, and it was said that 80% of the colonists heard him preach, and it was like pouring gasoline on a fire that was already blazing. I mean, George Whitefield's preaching just, I mean, it, it, God used it in a mighty way. Revival called the Great Awakening. hundred years later after that, 1857, a guy by the name of Jeremy Lamphere began a prayer lunch with six guys in New York City. In one year, they say about a million people were saved. A million people came to Christ. That started with one prayer lunch with six guys. Now, as I've studied revivals and I've read about revivals, there seems to be two key ingredients in my mind. The Holy Spirit and God's Word and preached. The Holy Spirit and God's Word. When those two things come together, revival takes place. In fact, John 16, when he comes, the Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit convicts people when God's Word is preached. And all who call in the name of the Lord are saved. So what I've understood and what I understand about revival is that when a revival happens, first and foremost, God is saving people, their souls. God is saving souls. That's what revival is first and foremost about. 
But it's also about holiness. It's also about holiness. You need to understand this if you're a Christian. This has to be so, I mean, this has to be a fundamental truth that you understand as a Christian, that revival always begins within a Christian. It always begins in your heart. When you surrender all of you to all of him, you will experience revival in your own heart. And that's how, it's, that's how it happens. That's, that's, the, that's where it starts. And then it spreads from there. You see, what I think happened in Asbury this month is that these students were revived or were, were, were seeking holiness. And I think that the rest of the world kind of saw this and got excited about it, and many were seeking revival in their own heart as well and seeking holiness, and that's why they were willing to drive for hours, fly for hours to experience it. And I think that their lives will never be the same. I think that they will go and make disciples in a glorious way. In fact, there's a movie that's being played right now in theaters, Jesus Revolution, that's a result of a, of a revival that took place in the 70s. The people that have, have, have made that movie happen today, we had someone saved in the 70s, in case you didn't just hear that. <laughs> but that, that, that movie is, is, is the fruit, if you will, of people that were in the revival of the 70s. So I would love to see the fruit of those people that had revival in Asbury, those students, what they will do, what will happen in their churches that they serve in in the years to come. I can't wait to see that. Because the truth is, the truth is that you don't have to go to Asbury University to experience revival. It begins in your own heart. When you confess your sins, when you repent, turn away from those sins and surrender it all to God, when all you want is holiness more than anything else, you will feel God's presence. You will experience revival. And when revival begins in you, it spreads. It spreads to others. You don't need me or this church to come up with an evangelism plan for you. All right? You become, I mean, you, you spill out. Evangel you can't, when something amazing happens to you, do you not tell everybody you come into contact with? Don't you? Don't you share it with everyone? I mean, just, just imagine having a great meal at an amazing restaurant. Don't you plaster that all over social media? Oh, you got to go to this place. I loved it. It was so good. All right? When the Holy Spirit, when you experience revival because you are all in and you surrender it all to God, you will, you will just naturally tell everyone. And so it begins within us. It begins in our hearts. Will we see revival here in St. Clair Shores? I've asked that question many times. And the answer is, it depends on you. It depends on you. It depends on your desire and your heart. It starts with you. And it starts with me. There were a dozen students that heard the pastor dismiss chapel. And they just decided that they had no other place better to be than right there, worshiping God, pouring out their hearts. I have no doubt they confessed their sins, they asked for forgiveness, and they stoked the flame of the Holy Spirit inside of them, and it spread. They admit 
They didn't plan to have a revival. It happened. And it will happen when we surrender it all to God. Because in John 3, 8, Jesus says, the wind blows where it wishes. He's trying to help you understand what the Holy Spirit and how it works. And Jesus says this, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of the wind. You don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Holy Spirit. And it's that simple. We could have a revival here, but it depends on your heart. And it depends on your desire. Will you be holy as God is holy? Let's pray. Father, we come to you today. And Lord, I I don't know where our hearts are at. I don't know how many of us are willing to seek you with all our hearts all our mind, all of what we are. If we're willing to to sacrifice our plans, our agenda, and seek you, and to seek your will, Father, if there's some in this place that are willing to do that, if there's some that, that seek and desire revival more than anything, Father, may it begin in our own hearts. And may we see it spread. And we don't want to copy anything that's been happening around and down in Asbury. We want to see whatever you have for us, whatever your Holy Spirit will do here in this place. But God, we must, we must take it serious. And I pray we will, Father. I pray that there are some here that will make a decision today to seek you with everything. God, there's so many distractions in this world today. So many things to steal our attention. But God, let it be on you. Let it be totally and completely dependent on you. Father, let us not move unless we know your presence is moving. In Jesus' name.